Our conversation today is meant to help educate you, but is not intended as investment advice. Investing involves risk, and you should always consider your investment objectives, risk tolerance, and pricing before investing. Money talks. But so do we. I'm Lauren. And I'm Daniel. And And we're we're your friends friends with with tax tax benefits. We're here to sound off about write-offs, to get wise about wealth building, and to take the taboo out of tax talk. We work at TurboTax, so obviously, this is what we love to talk about. But we're not here to replace your accountant. In each episode, we'll share our own personal opinions, advice, and jokes about all things financial. What we won't do is share any opinions on behalf of Intuit, TurboTax, their brands, or employees. The lawyers made you say that, huh, Lauren? So stop scrolling on Tax Talk, tell your CPA you'll call them back later, and let's talk tax, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Friends with Tax Benefits. I'm Lauren Thomas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Thrall. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Lauren. What's the topic today? Well, you've probably heard about it, but today we're talking about crypto. Yes, I know all about crypto. It was all over the advertisements about a year ago and less so this year. And maybe we can find out a little bit about why. Today, we're going to learn from two special guests if crypto really is one of those smart investments for you. First up, I am excited to welcome Crypto Wendy O, host of The O Show on YouTube, who will break down for us the differences between crypto and NFTs. And later in the episode, tax expert Joe Bedford joins us to answer hot questions about the impact of crypto on your taxes. For those of you who don't know Wendy O, she is a Los Angeles-based entrepreneur and crypto analyst. In 2018, she left a healthcare career to focus on crypto investment and education full-time. She uses her YouTube show of five years, The O Show, TikTok, and her website to teach audiences about all things crypto. Wendy, welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here and talk about my get down cryptocurrency. Yeah, let's talk about the get down. So I think first up, Wendy, for those of us who don't know, what is crypto? There's a couple different like subgroups of cryptocurrency. So we have cryptocurrency, which is comprised of altcoins, and we have Bitcoin, which is the grandmother, and then we have NFTs, all of them. Um, I like to call all of them cryptocurrencies. Some of the communities don't like that. They like to be segregated, which that's fine. That's their business. But for the purpose of this show, we're going to kind of keep them under one blanket because um, it just makes things a little bit easier. So when we talk about Bitcoin, Bitcoin was created out of 2008 because of the housing crisis that happened and um, the duress that middle class and lower middle class Americans were put under. Um, My father-in-law was one of those that lost his home. So was one of my childhood friend's parents. So Bitcoin was created to kind of give the underdogs a solution to kind of be able to control their own money. Bitcoin is hard money. If you know how to custody it properly, that means you get to own your cryptocurrency, you get to own your Bitcoin, and nobody can take that from you. Um, But that can be a little bit complex for some people to understand. After Bitcoin was created, other entrepreneurs in the industry noticed that um, there was a need for different altcoins. Each altcoin does different things. We've got meme coins, which are really primarily for fun. Um, Then we do have projects like Ethereum. And then we have like layer two solutions like Polygonmatic that makes Ethereum work a little bit better. And now we have 
have this newer sector, which is known as NFTs, which is non-fungible token. And essentially that is like a JPEG um, that lives on the blockchain that is not tangible, but it does represent ownership of that particular asset. And you can even use that to represent an in real life asset. Um, you could have a deed to a house that can be created as an NFT and it would sit on the blockchain. And we're just kind of getting started with that. Okay, so you, you mentioned NFTs, right, which are unique digital evidence of ownership. And you've mentioned Bitcoin and Ethereum. Essentially, these are different kinds of digital currency. Is that a way to simplify it? It depends how you're using them. Like right now um, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin was intendedly created to be digital cash. And that's what it says in Satoshi's white paper. The white paper is basically like an essay that's like, hey, this is what it is. This is the tech. This is how it works. This is the map behind it, et cetera. It's pretty complex for a lot of people to understand. So that's why they come to channels like mine to kind of figure out some of the basics of it because it's really complex. Um, and then there were all coins that were created. Some of them you can, I mean, you can use all of them for P2P transactions, but they all do different things depending on what their use case is. They all have valid utility and they all have valid use case. So an altcoin is just an alternative or a different kind of coin. Is that right? Yeah, it's just a cryptocurrency. So we've got like Ethereum, we've got like Matic, we have um, Syscoin, um, you know, we have stable coins. So it's basically a cryptocurrency, like an altcoin is a cryptocurrency that is not Bitcoin. Um, but Bitcoin was one of the first cryptocurrencies that was created. Um, there was other kinds of forms of digital cash that were kind of floating around the internet in the early, early days. But Bitcoin kind of stood the test of time. And just the way that the code is set up, it makes it immutable. It makes it so that it's hard money. There's a finite supply. There's only 21 million Bitcoin that will ever be created. Um, we've lost a couple million of those. And I think that we do have about 18 million left, which is a lot different than the US dollar because the US dollar, the public servants can keep printing more. And that goes for other fiat currencies and other places. But the interesting thing about Bitcoin is it's very scarce and it is also hard money. When you say hard, can I hold it? No, um, when I say hard money, that means you can't artificially inflate the supply like you can with cash and cause inflation. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> Bitcoin is kind of deflationary because there's different things that can happen that can decrease the supply, um, which makes it a little like kind of valuable like gold. Some people like to refer it as digital gold. Some people do not like to do it. They like to refer to it as digital cash or whatever your narrative is, just as long as you understand the importance of it. So Wendy O, one of the things you mentioned earlier is you mentioned something about mining Help me understand what it means to mine cryptocurrency. I don't think you can do it with every kind. Yeah, so some of the basics of Bitcoin mining. Essentially, Bitcoin miners kind of host that transaction um, from person A to person B. And what ends up happening is they have mining rigs or computer software or whatever that looks like for their setup. And the software... It's basically trying to fight with other other people trying to solve the same equations and whoever solves that equation gets to earn the mining reward and that's how the transaction is facilitated. And the cool thing about it is you don't know who that Bitcoin miner is. So it could be somebody from country Y, somebody from country X, and it still allows for every to be everyone to be anonymous in the entire process, which is a little bit different on how banks work. Wendy, you're such a wealth of knowledge in crypto. How did you get into investing in crypto and then producing educational content about it? So I first heard about Bitcoin back in around 2011. It wasn't until about 2016, 2017, when I kept hearing about Bitcoin and Ethereum on a AM radio show on my way to and from work. And I as a new mom and somebody who worked in healthcare, and I was kind of getting tired of my job at the time, um, I wanted to find a way that I was going to be able to work from home. 
And I was also very entrepreneurial. So I didn't know what that looked like. I just knew I was getting ready to quit my job. So once I you know, bought my first portion of Bitcoin because you don't have to buy an entire Bitcoin. You could buy a Satoshi, could buy small amounts. You want to buy $20, great, 20000 great, whatever works for your budget, you and your family. And then I read the Bitcoin white paper and I just continued to keep educating myself every day. I would take about 10 minutes out of my time in between classes um, and, you know, read, learn about what blockchain technology is. And I started the YouTube channel not to be a content creator, but more so to host my to to showcase and live stream my meetups I would host in LA County. I've hosted over four dozen free events in LA County, and then alongside with conferences, I've done them in Chicago, um, New York, San Francisco, um, Canada. And I just wanted it to be a really great place for people who grew up poor, people who grew up like I did, um, to be able to network, meet, and hang out, and not have to pay thousand dollars for a conference ticket. And then um, I started like liking creating content because I taught myself how to trade. And I started posting like Bitcoin chart updates, which none of them are financial advice. And I started just covering the news and it just built and built and built. And I just enjoyed what I did. What do you do with crypto? How, how do you spend it? Can you can you spend it? If you don't, is it eventually just for cashing out for dollars? So like, tell me how you turn it into something that you can make use of other than just saying investing and it's worth more. But how does that translate to the real world application? So it kind of depends. The great thing about operating in a decentralized economy or doing our best to operate in that decentralized economy, because let's face it, all humans are biased, is you get to come up with your own narrative of what Bitcoin means to you or what cryptocurrency, what NFTs mean to you. They all have different use cases. There's some people who like to, and again, not financial advice to anybody listening, just giving some examples here. So there's some people like myself that do actively trade. There's I do hold as well. And um, there's some people who dollar cost average, dollar cost average means, for example, and you, I'm sure, have either of you had a nine to five job where you're putting money into a 401k from your paycheck. Okay. So you, so you, that's basically what you're doing when you get, it's similar, but not exactly the same, but I'm going to use this example because it's easy to understand. So for example, you work a nine to five, which nine to fives are absolutely amazing. I wouldn't be able to be where I am today without working a nine to five because they give you, you know, base pay, all of that type of stuff. Um, Plus health benefits. We all know health insurance Mm -hmm. is super, super expensive. Um, But what that means is, is like every paycheck, every Friday, you know that you're going to give 3% to, um, to the 401k or the IRA or the investment company that you have picked to invest for you. That's basically the same ideology of dollar cost averaging. What that means is, is you decided every Friday after you get your paycheck, you're going to take 1% of your paycheck or whatever makes sense for you and your family after you've budgeted disposable income and you plan to buy Bitcoin on a centralized exchange and buy 1% of your paycheck every Friday at 5 p.m. PST or whatever that time is. So that's what dollar cost averaging is. It just you continue to buy regardless of the price. I'd love to really unpack what are some of the different use cases of what you can do with crypto. Yeah. So one of the most popular ones is to buy Bitcoin at price X to hold it until it hits price Y and then sell it. Um, So it's a longer term investment. But then again, that can vary depending on the person because everybody has different financial goals and dreams. So that's one way to do it. People look at it as different type as an investment. Other people um, are actively trading it. Other people are using it to buy goods and services online. There are a few companies, oh, you take Bitcoin, let me go ahead and send you some sats to pay for that. And that's getting to be more and more popular, and especially in countries like El Salvador. Wendy, can you break down for us 
What is an NFT? Can you give us a few examples of them? An NFT is basically, it symbolizes something that lives on the blockchain that you own. So for example, there's a lot of different popular NFT projects um, that are just profile pictures and people are able to purchase those. And for example, there's only 10,000 of them that were, will ever be created, et cetera. So you, if you're interested in that particular collection, you can go ahead and buy a JPEG or one of those NFTs. Another use case for that is, is if you buy that particular NFT, you own it. It is yours. So what happens is if you want to go ahead and license out that image, you can go ahead and do so. You can license it out to somebody and they will pay you. However, in a lot of different NFT projects, the, the original founders or people who created it, they get a certain percent of royalty. So every single time that NFT is sold, they're getting a percentage. And the cool thing about that is, is that ideology and that method can be used for artists and creators. So let's say, for example, you guys decide to start a band and you're like, okay, well, we can't get signed by a record label. No worries. You guys can go ahead and create something really, really cool and then um, figure out how you want to distribute those royalties or what, you know, how many you want to create NFTs you want to create of whatever, whether it's a song, an album cover, whatever it is. And you can go ahead and fractionalize those and then have royalties set up in a certain way. And that can all be programmed by a small smart contract. And basically a smart contract is more, it's kind of like an Ethereum really kind of um, headline that. And basically it is a set of code that says if X happened, then Y happens. So every single time if that NFT is sold, person, whoever gets a percentage of that. So it automates everything instead of having to go to a third party and saying, hey, can you make sure that ha this happens? Smart contract acts as the third party, but there's no person there because it's all code based and everything gets sorted right away. So it removes out that third party that's charging you more money. I hear about but don't understand that connection between physical and digital assets. I think they call it fidgetal NFTs. What does that mean? And what does it mean for an investor? Like, give me an example of a fidgetal NFT so I can talk about it at dinner tonight with my kids. So Daniel, the guitar you have behind you, did you buy that brand new? I did. I worked in the dining hall for a whole year to, to purchase that when I was 18. How cool would it be? For example, let's say you got a, got a couple hundred bucks, you go into a pawn shop, you see a really cool guitar. You're like, I got to have this. You don't know who's owned that guitar before you at all. You just buy it because you think it's cool. How cool would it be, or even a record, how cool would it be to track who owned that guitar for the last 50 years or since inception? There's probably some really cool people who who owned it and then other cool people played it. And that's just like owning a rare record. I'm an avid record collector. I've got about 300 in the in the living room over there. And I would love to see, because sometimes you see little writing or inscriptions on the records or inside a book. And I would love to see who actually owned that record before me. Like what happens if it was an original band member? Or, you know, or who knows? Well, speaking of that, I know right now it's a challenging time for people who have invested in crypto because we're in what we're calling crypto winter because there's been such a decline in the value of crypto and digital currencies in the past year or so. So I'd love for you to help break down for us what is a bear market and what's your take on the, the environment we're in with crypto winter? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, until proven otherwise, Bitcoin follows a four-year cycle, and so do altcoins as well. Bitcoin is a very volatile asset, and so are altcoins or so are NFTs. This is very normal price action. We generally get approximately 85% correction with Bitcoin. We haven't hit that 85% correction yet. We may not see that 85% correction. That could leave us at $10,000 Bitcoin. Um, I'm somebody that does believe that that is a possibility, which is why I have limit orders set all the way down there. Other people don't believe that. Other people think we're already in a, in a bull market. So it kind of 
kind of depends. Um, generally, with any type of market, even any stock traders or people that invest in traditional markets or assets, they'll tell you to most of the time you don't know when you're out of a bull or bear market until you're actually out of it. Um, it's kind of part of the game. That's why it's very important to have a trading or investing plan. Let's conclude it with one more question. We do work at TurboTax, and so we have an interest in in taxes. And this seems like something that's kind of new waters. How does investing in crypto impact the way you think about taxes and the way that you do your taxes? So if you're somebody that is invested in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, or NFTs, you probably should hire a licensed professional to talk to you about these types of things because there are really amazing softwares out there that help. But at the same time, this is still very uncharted territory for a lot of people out there that might have to pay or might have to write stuff off. And there's a lot of different complex terms. So I think it's really important in crypto to have a trusted professional that can help you. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us today to help us learn a little bit more about crypto and NFTs. And for those who want to follow along, where can we find you online? I have a website, CryptoWendio.com. I'm on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, I think Facebook. I do have a lot of imposters out there. Always make sure to go to CryptoWendio.com to get my official links. Never get in private DMs or conversations with anybody online. Never send anybody personal information. Never send anybody money. I promise you, I will not DM you ever. Right on. Thanks, Wendio. We're so excited to welcome a tax expert, Joe Bedford, to the podcast. He's a wealth of knowledge about a variety of topics, including crypto. Joe, what are some of the key things that investors need to know about investing in crypto or NFTs at tax time? In so many cases, crypto is treated very similarly to other investments, such as stocks and mutual funds. And what I mean by that is the main taxable transaction that you're going to have is when you sell crypto. And that's going to be treated just the same as selling stocks or mutual funds in that you will generally be um, realizing a capital gain or loss, either a short-term or long-term gain or loss, depending on how long you held the crypto. Let's play a round of break it down on that. So for those of us who are investing newbies, can we first get into what is a capital gain or capital loss? Great idea, because uh, the, the nice thing about capital gains, which I'll talk about first, is that the tax rate is generally a little bit friendlier than the tax we pay on ordinary income, such as our wages. So it's usually at a lesser rate. So obviously that's advantageous to the taxpayer. Now, especially if we're talking about long-term capital gains, which is when we've held the investment, or in this case, the cryptocurrency, for longer than a year. That's when you really get the advantaged rate. The short-term capital gains rate, honestly, is fairly comparable to the ordinary income rate. So that is a great point to make. But one of the little fine points with crypto that makes our mental process a little bit different, perhaps, is if we use crypto, if we spend crypto, if, you know, the, the example that everybody loves to use is if I buy a pizza with my crypto, well, you may not think that you've sold crypto, but actually you have because the way, you know, you are basically selling your crypto for U.S. dollars, which are then being used to buy the pizza. You can't buy the pizza directly with the crypto. So if you use the crypto, then it is considered that you have sold it and you might be causing a capital gain or loss. So you need to be aware of what the value of your crypto is at the time that you 
use it in a transaction like buying a pizza or a couple of years ago, an electric vehicle maker allowed you to buy a car with crypto. So you have to make sure you know what the value of that crypto is when you exchange it for something like a pizza or a car in order to be able to accurately report that transaction on your taxes, right? That's very correct and sort of brings up another point, and this is a common theme with me, is that, you know, I want people to understand what they're getting into, you know, when they're when they're making decisions like, you know, getting involved in crypto. Now, yes, a lot of the crypto exchanges and there's other, you know, software that's available to sort of hopefully help with the record keeping and, you know, helping keep track of how much you purchased the crypto for, how much it was worth when you sold it or used it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's up to the taxpayer to provide that information. And if they not thought about that ahead of time and they don't have that information in a readily available, readily understandable format, they may have to go back then and, you know, make those determinations themselves. Now, obviously, there's historical price data available on the Internet, you know, so have a plan ahead of time how you're going to keep track of and make sure that you have the information that you're going to need when tax filing season comes around. Don't wait till then to throw up your hands and realize you don't have it and now you're scrambling to find it. So it sounds like one key thing people need to know about crypto at tax time is the value of the crypto when they sell it. But another thing they need to know is the cost basis, correct? Can you explain for us what the heck a cost basis is and what it has to do with your taxes? I can, and I'll try not to get too deep into the accountants speak woods with this one. Uh, accountants will use the term cost basis a lot, which basically, especially with crypto, it's a little more simple. It's what you paid for it. Now, the thing that's nice about crypto is, and again, I, I don't want to use jargon here. You can choose which crypto you're selling or which crypto you've sold. So like, let's say, you know, I bought one batch of crypto in, you know, January, another in February, another in March. Those were all at different prices. You know, let's say I bought, you know, I don't know, 10 uh, Joe coins. Is it, can that be the new crypto Joe coins? So we bought 10 Joe coins in January and we bought 15 in February. We bought 20 in March, whatever. So when I go to sell or use my crypto, I can decide what crypto I'm selling. So if it was cheap in January and it was cheap in February and in March, that fair market value was higher, I can say, well, it's that stuff. The ones I bought in March are the ones I'm selling now, because obviously the more I paid for it, the higher my cost basis is. Then if there's a gain, the gain is going to be less as opposed to if I'm selling the crypto that I bought for less, obviously that's making the gain be more. And that is something that's allowed, at least currently with crypto. A question for you, Joe, if you're an investor in one of these big crypto companies that filed for bankruptcy or have a lot of drama happening behind the scenes, what might that kind of shakeup mean for you at tax time? It's funny that you say that, Lauren. Some folks are already trying to figure out, well, I can claim this all as a loss on my taxes because I've lost all this money, right? Well, not so fast. In a lot of these cases, the litigation and all the fallout is still ongoing. So in other words, some of these taxpayers or consumers may end up getting some of that money back. that They just don't know yet. So no, you can't just throw up your hands and say, oh, I've lost all my money. You can't, you can't say that just yet. 
Joe, one other question for you regarding taxes and, and crypto. So, you know, I think the forms are pretty standard that you get when you invest in stocks and every year you get your, I don't know what those forms are, but your, your stocks forms, and at least I get those. But I don't think there's standardization in the crypto space in regard to tax forms. Is that the case that there's not standardization in terms of tax forms? And if that is the case, what does one do at tax time in terms of getting it into software? If you use software, what does a CPA do if you just get unstandardized forms? So to answer your first question, yes, unfortunately, there is not standardization. You know, hopefully that's going to get better over time. Arguably, it has already gotten a little bit better. But yeah, it varies wildly from exchange to exchange. And, you know, depending on who you're dealing with, what kind of forms that you're getting. In a perfect world, you're going to get either a 1099B form or a 1099 comp form, which is the exact same form as you said that you're going to get from your stock and mutual fund investment. Some crypto exchanges may not send you any forms, or they may send you a transaction history that shows all of your transactions, whether they're taxable or not. Chances are most of them do have the information in a format that's going to be useful for tax preparation. But you may, you may just have to dig around on the website or ask them for that. One thing I'll mention, I try not to talk too much about form numbers and things like that because it puts, you know, normal people to sleep. But form 8949 is the exact form that these types of transactions are detailed on on your tax return. The reason I do mention it in this case is a lot of times the crypto exchanges will provide you basically with that form filled out with the transaction details on there. Depending on how many transactions there are, you can either detail them all individually on the tax return, or you can just use category totals and then attach the 8949 form provided to you from the crypto exchange. You attach that to the tax return as documentation for all of your transactions. We're talking a lot about crypto, and I know there's other kinds of newer investments too. So if we're talking about NFTs, for example, are there any other nuances that one should be aware of if you're investing in NFTs? NFTs is a good point, and it's not something we're seeing a lot yet, you know, in the wild or in the real world, at least not with my clients. I haven't seen it much. You know, who knows if it's going to be more in the future or not. But yeah, there are some very interesting things to keep in mind with NFTs. The first thing to keep in mind when you sell one, now you probably think you know what I'm going to say. Uh, well, Joe, is it treated like capital gains? Well, it depends. Did you create the NFT yourself and then sell it? So if you create it yourself and sell it, then it's treated as an income, correct? Ordinary income, which remember is generally taxed at a higher rate and you may owe self-employment tax on that as well. But if you're just a regular Joe, again, I get my name on the podcast as much as I possibly can. If you're a regular Joe and you have just bought some as a collectible and then you sell it, it's a capital asset and you're gonna, it's going to be a capital gain or a capital loss. One other point I want to make about NFTs also is you very well might have a taxable transaction when you purchase the NFT because, again, you're using crypto to do so. Joe Bedford, as always, you taught us a lot. Thank you so much for joining us this week and helping us understand crypto a little better. Daniel, Lauren, always my pleasure. Friends with Tax Benefits is an Intuit TurboTax podcast presented by TurboTax Studios and made in partnership with Frequency Media. 
We're your hosts, Daniel Thrall. And I'm Lauren Thomas. From Intuit TurboTax, Jane Lahani is our executive producer, and Tony Melinda is our video producer. From Frequency Media, Jordan Rizieri is our producer, Emily Krumberger is our associate producer, and Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Concepts Development by Jessica Olivier, Jill Pachesnik, and Isabel Moncloa-Daly. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found.